Some tough news to open today's show as former WWE superstar Shad Gaspard, uh, a member of Crime Time, is presumed dead after saving his son in Venice Beach on Sunday night, uh, swept away by riptide currents. Uh, they had a major search for him, the Los Angeles Police Department and Coast Guard that has now been called off. Uh, Gaspard had a very interesting uh, track to WWE. Uh, his father you know, worked in the street legitimately. Uh, he began his, I guess, career, you can call it, his work life as a bodyguard for numerous well-known celebrities. And he was actually recruited to WWE by Dr. Tom Pritchard. Uh, and he had a relatively quick rise coming out of Ohio Valley Wrestling into WWE. Obviously, most people know him for Crime Time, the tag team he was in with JTG, which at this point is probably better in my memory than perhaps they were in actuality. The tag team division was extremely bad in WWE when they were there for their first initial run. They eventually came back, I believe, in around 2008 and were in the main event picture, strangely, all of a sudden with John Cena working in a semi-faction called Crime Time Sination, and they got over really big and people loved them. Uh, but ultimately, it didn't work out in that second run either. After about two years in WWE, uh, they were split up. And then very soon after they were split up, which happens to a lot of tag teams in WWE, they were both let go. By all accounts, though, Shad Gaspard was a really good guy and a good father. Certainly uh, his last act being one of heroism. And it's not the only one that he committed, though, because back in 2016, he also stopped an armed robbery at a gas station, uh, really just out of nowhere. I don't think he was related or had any... A relation to anyone that was involved in that incident. But nevertheless, a guy who is being remembered now by friends and family uh, for the great person that he is, certainly no doubt his family is still holding out hope that, you know, he might have been swept somewhere and, and is now just, you know, figuring out his way back. But, you know, when the Coast Guard calls off a search in a situation like that, uh, usually it's not great. So we do before today's show remember Shag Gaspard, former WWE superstar, Great father, and by all accounts, a great man. Hey now, we are getting over an I Am for Silver King. Adam Silverstein here leads you through these hard times. That is, but the only show that has said enough was enough, and it's time for a change. That's right, we are back with a weekly look at WWE, including everything that has happened on SmackDown, Raw, and beyond over the last few days. But not only that, we have former NXT Women's Champion Rhea Ripley joining Getting Over for the first time. Thrilled to speak to Rhea. Uh, certainly the women's picture in NXT is one of the most interesting right now, so we're gonna talk to her about that and a lot more later in the show. But you all know the drill by now. Before we get into the meat of the show, the two big men slapping meat, you gotta go head over to Apple Podcasts, drop those five-star ratings and reviews. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. And the most important request, tell your friends, family, coworkers, people you see on the street, tell them about your favorite wrestling podcast. Getting Over, the best and quickest way for us to grow is by word of mouth. Joining me today is Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Of course, you can follow me at Silverstein Adam. 
Uh, we have a big show ahead of us because even though there was not a singular massive WWE news item this week, there was nevertheless a lot of things that happened both on the show and off of the show. But before we get into that, Chris, I kind of want to get a little better picture on what your week to week is like. Um, are, what are you doing to fill this time beyond taking care of all the foster animals, beyond hanging out with your wife, who, of course, is on the front lines, by the way, everyone uh, helping you know protect uh, us from from this virus and, and keeping everyone healthy. But what are you guys doing? Are you are you binging shows, um, drinking a lot of beer? You know, what's happening over there? Well, well, outside of trying to find different types of store, college football stories to write about uh, for my job, uh, I've been trying to binge some new shows this weekend. I watched both seasons of Sunderland Till I Die on okay. Netflix. Have you mm-hmm. seen that? I have not, but I, it's always in the rotation when I'm going through my Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's a it's a two uh, it's eight episodes per season, six a second. They're like thirty five minute episodes following uh, Sunderland, a English soccer team in the 2017-2018 season, then 2018-2019 season. And the uh, it, it's unique because it's a team. It, normally you get these documentaries about teams that are really good at the top. This is a team that continues to fall further and further down. And it was a lot of gut punches along the way, but it was really, really well done. Interesting to see, again, a team that is not very good uh, and see how that plays behind the scenes. So um, that's how I spend my weekend while doing some work I had that on in the background for two straight days over the weekend. And uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Interesting. My local breweries have been cranking out new beer and they're doing this thing where they're doing curbside pickup, but you can only get 32 ounce crowlers. Or I mean, you can also get their standard six packs of their normal beer. But for the special ones, you have to get 32 ounce crowlers. So they had their like eighth year anniversary. And then the next week they came out with my favorite beer, which they only make once a year. So all of a sudden I like opened my refrigerator a couple of days ago and I realized I have eight crowlers basically sitting in my refrigerator. And while I do love beer and I do like having a couple beers each week, you know, unless it's a situation where it's extremely social, I'm not going to go sit down and have, you know, four beers in a sitting or maybe even (laughs) two, you know what I mean? Like, Hey, I'm having dinner. I'll have a good beer with it and I'll move on. Um, But now I'm sitting with all these crowlers and they're staring at me, almost daring me like, Hey, like, (laughs) you know, you got all of us. Why aren't you drinking us? Right. So I think at some point soon I'm going to have to crack into those. But what I where I really spent my weekend, I had the full weekend off, uh, which was nice outside of that golf match, which was not great. That's the best way I'll put it. Uh, I started Breaking Bad. And I shouldn't say I started Breaking Bad. I am very deep into Breaking Bad. So before I talk about it, have you seen it at all? I've seen bits and pieces. I watched the finale. I've not seen it from start to finish. Some of those okay. shows that are like five, six, seven years old that are like, you know, four or five, six seasons long. I, yeah. I find myself, it's such a time commitment that I'm a little kind of afraid to put that in when it's already been done. Like you're not, it's, it's different when you watch a show and you're not kind of living it in the moment with people at the time. And that's where I kind of get a lot of, that's basically, I mean, with, with the way things are with Twitter and everything, that's kind of the way we watch a lot of shows now. And that's what The Last Dance was, you know, half the fun of watching The Last Dance live on Sunday nights was everybody's, live reactions to it uh on on twitter so that's why some of those older shows i just it's hard for me to get up the energy and the effort to to start over for something like that but i commend you for for doing that no you make a great point actually because it's something that i thought about while watching this show so you know for those that follow me on twitter you know i just ran through the wire a couple weeks ago 
thought it was fantastic. Um, the point you make about The Last Dance, though, is very good. I, I was actually, I watched it, quote unquote, live on Sunday, but I was 30 minutes behind everyone else. I, I was finishing an episode of Breaking Bad. I was like, oh, I'll skip some commercials. But there were so few commercials in The Last Dance that I never actually caught up to live. So that was a little bit of a disappointment for me. However, um, what I can tell you is in watching Breaking Bad, the thought that has come through my mind is, this is a great show, but I don't think it's as great as people may remember not watching it week to week with cliffhangers and really being curious what's going to happen next, talking about it with all your friends, watching it in the setting that I am, which is basically binge watching it. And I have gone through it very quickly. Um, it's kind of, I don't want to say disappointing, but I don't think it may be living up to everyone else's hype. I'm through four seasons of the show. It's great. I mean, it is one of my top 10 shows of all time, maybe top five shows of all time. And perhaps the final season will jolt it into that rarefied air where you say, wow, this is one of the best shows I've ever seen. But right now, it doesn't really hold much of a candle to The Wire because The Wire is deeper. It's more meaningful. And Breaking Bad, as good as it is, it is very much like other shows that I've seen. It's not that different from 24 to me, uh, except it's in many ways less adrenaline pumping because it's a real show. It's a drama, not just an action show. So that's my take on it. I have a full season left, 15 more episodes to watch. So that will be done in the next uh, three days, I would say, maybe two. Um, and I will be talking about that maybe on Thursday's show. Maybe I'll open up talking a little bit of Breaking Bad. Obviously, I try to stay away from some spoilers. Uh, some people on Twitter aren't as good as me in that regard. And you all know that that is one of my biggest complaints. But we're not here to talk about TV. We're here to talk about professional wrestling on TV. And the way we get started with that is by moving into the main event. And we'll start off this week with something that kind of transverse TV in real life, which is Drew Gulak uh, having a great match with Daniel Bryan on SmackDown, uh, just old school mat wrestling, no strikes, probably his best in-ring performance in WWE to date. And then just a couple days later, it being revealed that his contract has expired and he's no longer with WWE. There were various reports came out. Initially, it was misreported that he was released. Uh, it was eventually then reported by PW Insider that he was in negotiations with WWE and they did not come together in time for him to re-sign. Apparently, he wanted a raise and either WWE didn't feel he was worth it or they decided not to give him one during the pandemic after they just released two dozen people. So for me, Chris, you know, Gulak is someone who, do I think WWE is going to be missing him if he doesn't eventually come back? No. I don't think he creates a hole in their programming. I don't think he's a tide turner or anything like that. But he is someone who throughout his WWE career and really in the last couple months on SmackDown has been a role player to a degree that was needed. Him and Daniel Bryan, the short-lived feud between them, the new team with them, uh, the hope that a lot of us had that Chad Gable would factor into that somehow and, and we get a trio of just talented in-ring wrestlers and performers who are all elevating each other. Um, certainly the work that Daniel Bryan did on his own, elevating Drew Gulak, it was one of the most enjoyable parts of SmackDown to me. So while I didn't necessarily care for him much in 205 Live or the a couple of appearances he made on NXT to put other people over, 
there's no doubt that he had value to the company, uh, more value than just being a 205 Live performer, which I presume is the contract that he was on. So ultimately, I do think WWE made a mistake not figuring out a way to get him back. But then again, we don't know what he was asking for. We don't know what his expectations were in WWE going forward. And for someone like Drew Gulak, I think he's going to have plenty of opportunity sooner than later because it seems like with sports opening up and and states opening up that some of these organizations are going to be able to start getting going again. You know, you're right that WWE losing him does not create much of a change in, in the current product and what they have. But seeing the news about him, I, I kind of had the same feeling as when EC3 and Drake Maverick slash Rockstar Spud were let go. And it's that you could have gotten a lot more out of this person. Uh, Drew is incredibly talented. He always turns kind of nothing into something really well. Really talented guy in the ring, on the mic, can do it all. He never really got that chance to shine until Dan O'Brien kind of took him under his wing at the end here. And we got kind of the best of, of what we had out of him. And you mentioned the, the Chad Gable thing. Again, what, like, why hasn't that just happened? Like, <laughs> right it's, now. It, it's not like Dan O'Brien and Drew Gulak were doing something so important you couldn't do it. Like, it's so obvious here. Chad Gable and, and Kurt Angle, we didn't get it till the very end. There's like just some obvious things here to just do, and they don't pull the trigger on. Gulak is a guy who I think is it would be best suited for a, a, a TV situation, not necessarily run doing independence where, where nobody's watching. Not, not that he's not, a, he's a great wrestler, but I just mean, he's so talented on, on the mic, the PowerPoint stuff. He, 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 he's, he can kind of do it all. And I think in a situation where he'd be on TV would be his best situation. So yeah, you know, it, it sucks that he's not there, but mostly because of, I think what they could have done and, and just chose not to. That's completely fair. You know, there's people who, Leave WWE and you're like, oh, I can see them elsewhere, right? Uh, EC3, I can see him, of course, being an impact or an AEW or even Ring of Honor. I think he fits. Spud, same thing. Drew Gulak, to me, though, is the perfect type of guy for WWE. And they were starting to really find ways to utilize him, as I was saying, and it was working. He's a guy who I would always believe would like find his way into the company, which he did then burrow his way onto TV consistently for a period of time, maybe even longer than you would think he should, like going down years down the line, maybe along the lines of like a Fit Finley, right? Where he's just always there. And then he moves into a producer and backstage role. And you hear about him for another 15 or 20 years of all the genius things that this person helped produce. That's what Drew Gulak is to me when I think about him. So for him to not be there and for them to not be able to come up with a way to keep him it's just shocking to me, and I just happen to feel that he might be on a little bit of a break, and then like three weeks from now, all of a sudden he's back on TV and they come to a deal or something like that happens, but he's a valuable commodity for them. He's not someone that you have to break the bank to keep, and, and certainly the value that he places on himself may not be the same value that WWE has on him, and clearly WWE is not in the position right now where they're giving these huge contracts that they were to keep people away from other places. I mean, he's not Roman Reigns, you know, he's not Becky. He's he, he is still that probably third tier at a four tier performer for WWE, but, and that's not meant to be an insult. That's just talking about his importance to the company. So I, I do wish he would stay. I was surprised to see that uh, to your Gable point. We don't know what Gable's situation is. He may have told them, like, I, I don't know if he's married with a kid. He might be, he may have said, Hey, I'm not, I'm not wrestling right now. So 
that could be one of the reasons why that's not happening. But I mean, but he, he, I mean, he tweeted about it back when, when Gulag and Ryan just started. Sami Zayn's tweeting about the intercontinental picture and he's not wanting to be there either. So yeah, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean one thing or the other, but nevertheless, the point is, I think we both agree that I, I actually want Drew Gulak in WWE. I don't really want him in AEW or NXT or Impact or Ring of Honor. I think WWE main roster is, has been the best fit for him to this point, and I really want to see him get another opportunity. Uh, yeah, uh, and one, one more thing. Sure. Drew, Drew Gulak, when he doesn't have the beard, when he's clean-shaven, looks exactly like Dabo Sweeney. He does, um, yes. Head coach. I've always just, he's always been a doppelganger to me. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that one last, one last thought about Drew Gulak. Yeah, no, totally true. Uh, let's move on, though, to the brand-to-brand Invitational, uh, which I think is now what they're calling it. You know, we talked about this at length last week, so I don't think we need to do that again. But I'll just say to this point so far, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. And I do have a DM that slide, slid in from basically an Israeli Premier League podcast. This is one of our listeners from Israel at Sport One Pod. He said, what do you think about the explanation they gave for the brand to brand invitational, I thought it was nice that they are trying to give it structure, but pretty much failed given the fact they say it will happen four times a year only and it's quote unquote special while AJ Styles is in the freaking intercontinental title tournament on SmackDown without any brand to brand reference. So this is a really good point. You know, WWE explained the rules, if you want to call them that, as four times a year, there's a brand to brand invitational where limited superstars will be able to go back and forth. But when they said four times a year, I don't think they meant four people one time. I think what they meant is four periods of time over the course of a year. So maybe a month, the month of May or mid-May to mid-June or something like that. During these specific periods of time, the invitational is open and this can happen. This is convoluted. I mean, the way I explained it, the way they explained it, none of it makes any sense. And this is what we started worrying about when we talked about them bringing this back and having it be akin to the wild card rule where they started with actual rules and then they threw those out the window. Um, the difference here is it has been limited. And as long as they keep it limited to this degree where you just have King Corbin on Raw and on SmackDown, yes, they had Charlotte and they announced AJ, but only Charlotte was there. AJ presumably is going to be there this upcoming week for his Intercontinental title tournament uh, quarterfinal match. So as long as you keep it limited to that degree, I don't care how you explain it. Just don't make it where because of this wild card rule or, or lack thereof, um, because of this wild card rule that you cloud the roster picture, you prevent people from getting on television. That's the biggest issue. As long as they don't do that, they can call it whatever they want. They can handle it however they want. We discussed it last week, Chris. They're in a very unique time. Uh, they released a lot of people from the roster. There's some people that have decided not to show up to, to work, which is their right. And WWE needs to keep their ratings up. So if they're going to do it this way and it's going to be limited, call it what you want, handle it how you want. I don't really care. Just don't let it interfere with my enjoyment of the product. That's what the wildcard rule did. So far, this is fine. I don't even know why they have to say four times. Just you don't need to put <laughs> your own you don't need to put your own restrictions on it. And then because then we're because exactly. then we're constantly thinking about those numbers instead of just what's happening. Just say guys can move, guys and girls can move, 
but just do it sparingly. So when someone shows up, it's a surprise and it is what it is. And we move forward. We don't have to think, wait, how many times is this? Wait a minute. Charlotte has been on three shows. What does this right. count for this now? Like just, you don't like the wild card rule having three and then changing the rules. Just don't put yourself in these situations where you have rules right. that you later have to change or amend when you don't need to give yourself the rules in the first place. Just, just say it's going to be fluid for a while and then go with it. So I, well, I think it's fine. It, it's just weird that we have to think what exactly does four times mean. Well, that's the thing. They, they're calling it the brand to brand invitation, which, by the way, is stupid. Just short names are better. Like wildcard rule for however shitty it ended up being. At least the name was short. And, it, yeah, you know, it, yeah, name was fine. Right. So this is all they had to say. Hey, we're doing this new brand to brand invitational uh, where given approval from USA Network and Fox executives, certain superstars will be able to occasionally show up on other brands. That's it. That's all you have to say. That's it. You, your point is great. WWE confined themselves to the wildcard rule where they said, it's three people and it's this and, and blah, blah, blah. And you can only do it once a month and whatever the case. And then they were like, well, it's three people, but tag teams only count as one. And factions only count as one. But no, but it's only three people in a match. So if they're backstage, that doesn't count. It was just so freaking convoluted and the biggest issue with wwe storytelling aside from the times where they don't have any is when they try to tell you stories but it doesn't make sense and they change them so frequently so you know they gave away this these rules for this invitational on like main event and then they just reiterated them kind of they you know they didn't actually say these are the rules this is what we're going to do if you're not going to do that then don't give me any rules which is exactly what you said just let it be something that happens I suggest it being a bit of a surprise. You know, them promoting King Corbin on Raw did nothing for me. Did I want to see McIntyre kick his ass? Not really, because I know Corbin's going to get his ass kicked if he faces off with McIntyre. To me, the McIntyre-Corbin stuff over the course of the entire show was a shrug. You had Corbin there demanding, oh, where's my own locker room? You know, why is my crown have a smudge on it? You have McIntyre. I'm going to give him a king-size Claymore. Okay, like who really cares? It ultimately just served as a vehicle to move into something that we're going to talk about later, a program for McIntyre. But the the segment itself and hyping up Corbin to be on the show, again, did nothing for me. Now, if you're going to tell me Styles is going to be on SmackDown, that I care about. You want to tell me right. Brian, you want to tell me Brian's going to come to Raw to fight Dan, uh, right. you know, Seth Rollins, okay, I'm in. But telling me just King Corbin's going to be there to challenge McIntyre in a non-title match. That's not getting me to tune in. That's not helping the yeah. ratings. So use these invitationals to actually get people to watch your show. Yeah. I, Cor Corbin's not a guy that's going to move the needle if you promote him. Um, I, I I was a little confused that, like you said, that talking about the locker room and stuff like that, when they're all they're all sharing the same building, we know it. It's not like they're traveling to different spots and the, the rosters are technically right. separated. They're all kind of together. So you want to do Corbin McIntyre to set something up that's fine. I, I think, um, yeah, it's it's just it feels more confusing than it need, than it needs to be. I think that's exactly the way to the way to put it to put a bow on it. Uh, let's talk about the Intercontinental Championship tournament. I think WWE did a really good job here because they were able to put interesting storyline relevant matches in the first round, which is kind of a change how they normally do it. Usually they have. A first round filled with people that you know are going to win, setting up second round matches that have some intrigue or storyline purpose to them. But what they did right off the bat, they gave us Daniel Bryan against Drew Gulak. Again, 
Gulak's no longer there, uh, but they were partners at the time. So it was an interesting dynamic where they decided not to do strikes and they just had a great match. Elias and King Corbin, which is a feud that we know has been bubbling under the surface. It was a bit of a surprise that Elias actually won that match. And then also in the first round coming up next Friday or this upcoming Friday, Jeff Hardy against Sheamus, which is a key match we want to see, and AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura. And while that is not um, a storyline build match because AJ Styles is coming over from Raw for the tournament, it's a WrestleMania rematch. And it's a feud that we hope is going to go on for a couple you know, more years where we get that ultimate Styles Nakamura match that we've been wanting for some time. So for me, you know, I wish that this tournament was 16 people instead of eight because I thought they had the horses on SmackDown to actually make it work and extend it over a longer period of time. My guess is that it's eight because they want the finals to be a backlash and they just want to crown a champion there. But for the eight that they chose, it's a solid eight. There, there were no holes in this. There was not like Tucker just randomly getting an opportunity for the Intercontinental Championship. So, so far, so good. Two matches down. Two thumbs up from the Silver King. Yeah, the, the only, uh, I guess, problem I'd have with what happened on SmackDown was that Corbin and Elias, I'm pretty sure, had a longer match, longer match than Brian and Gulak, and and I, right. I didn't, I didn't need Corbin Elias to be that long. I'm, I'm, we we've seen it plenty of times leading up to WrestleMania. You did it. You move on forward. It's fine. It's just it was a bit long. Uh, and noticeable when you had Brian Gulak going, uh, I think it was a little bit shorter. No, that's true. And, but but and I'm I, a bit, but I'm a big fan of tournaments in, in all situations. And you're right that the depth of this tournament uh, works out. You could, you could see basically anybody winning it. And um, that's, that's rare sometimes in these situations. Uh, you know, notwithstanding the pay-per-views, so money in the bank, TV matches I've noticed across all three brands have really been much shorter I think they believe that without fans in attendance, the attention span of the viewer for a match without fans is limited. So I think that they are shortening the matches. I mean, otherwise, there's and I said this on the Thursday show, there's no excuse that the main event of NXT has been like two 13-minute matches the last two weeks. The main event of Raw started with like 23 minutes left. By the time they did the entrances and by the time Lashley came out with MVP, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, there was about 13 minutes left for that match. It ended and there was one or two minutes left at the end. So I think their goal is to give us short matches. And normally I'd complain about it because I don't want to see Styles and Nakamura have a seven minute match. But again, given the circumstances, it does make sense to me. But you did mention that there's a lot of people that can win this tournament. And I agree. Who do you think will? And if you were booking it, who would you want to win this tournament? That's a good question. I, I I would want Daniel Bryan to win just because I want good things for Daniel Bryan, I think. Um, I think who's going to win is AJ Styles. I, I think with the Undertaker. I think with the Undertaker thing moving, and maybe he stays on SmackDown. I, I don't know. I, I know that's a dynamic here. We kind of got to, we don't really know what's going on with the Brain of Brain Invitational. Who knows? But I, I think... Putting him in the Money in the Bank match uh, the way they did and him almost winning it, uh, it, it seems like they still have pretty big plans and, and ideas for him. And, and um, I could see him winning the Intercontinental, uh, Intercontinental Championship. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, the, the weird thing is I don't think they need more mid-carters on SmackDown. And if he does win the title, you have to expect that to move to SmackDown permanently. Uh, so that to me is strange. I just like you see everyone else that's in this match. They don't need him. 
Raw, meanwhile, needs people that are going to be able to challenge Drew McIntyre. And AJ Styles is one of those people. So I do think that Styles beats Nakamura in this first round. I do think we get a final of Daniel Bryan against AJ Styles. And I think Bryan's going to take it. Um, it would make sense to have a heel, maybe even a Sheamus. But in order for Sheamus to win, he would need to beat Jeff Hardy, then Daniel Bryan, then presumably either AJ Styles or Shinsuke Nakamura. And I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. That'd be a lot really quickly for Sheamus. Not that, he, I mean, he's a former WWE champion, so he not that he wouldn't be deserving of it. Um, he's a former world champion. I forget which title he had. But nevertheless, uh, I think that would be a, a pretty big push pretty quickly. I think Brian actually comes out on top of it. And honestly, that's how I would book it, too. I would have Brian win. And the, the, think, other, the other one I could see is Jeff Hardy, last run, give him a title type of deal. I, I could Now that I'm thinking about it, I could see that one happening, too. I just feel like they're, they're trying to build a party for the world title. That's possible. Meaning the... the uh, Universal Championship. The, the Universal Championship. Yeah, I, I guess I could see that as well down the road, too. That could work. The only thing I do like that I want to add here... Uh, assuming, assuming Bray wins it. The Fiend wins it at some point. Assuming the Fiend wins sooner than later. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, the, the one thing I do like that I want to add is I'm really glad, and I mentioned it earlier, that Sami Zayn's staying engaged with this on Twitter. It kind of shows that even though he's not showing up, he still wants to be involved. Um, it, it calms any questions that, oh my God, he's mad at WWE because it's a title off him. So I, I like that he's basically calling whoever ends up being champion fake and that he has, you know, no desire for it. And that he, you know, when he does come back, when he feels comfortable right away, there's a program. He has one IC title. Someone else has it. Your old Razor HBK situation. Maybe they even do a ladder match. That'd be cool. And, and that would fit with Dan O'Brien with what they were doing beforehand. It would. In fact, it would continue that storyline in a very meaningful way. So that would be great. one. Other, and one other thing I know, Sammy won the Intercontinental belt when things were shut down. And I was surprised at the time and I'm not surprised I don't know the everything that's going on behind the scenes, but the idea that Sammy wouldn't be comfortable wrestling with everything going on right now is not a surprise at all. And I'm kind of surprised that that conversation did not happen before he won the belt. No, he, he won the title at the pay-per-view before Mania. There were fans there. Okay. Oh, that was three on one. It was the three on one match. You're uh, right. It's wrong. You're right. You're yeah. right. But did, did he defend the belt at WrestleMania? Um, yes. He yeah. And he won. Retained. He retained. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, I'm sorry. That's where I was surprised. I, yeah. cause, cause we kind of knew where things were going and I was surprised he kept the belt, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I thought, I thought Brian was going to take it off of him at the pay-per-view. Yeah. So it made sense. The booking at the time, you yeah. know, if, if he was going to continue working, but once he decided to stop working and, and I think, you know, people forget, he didn't just suddenly decide to stop. He had wisdom teeth surgery. Um, so he got his wisdom teeth removed. He was out of action for two weeks. And then while he was out, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to come back right now. So that's how this ended up happening. Uh, you know, if, if he had always continued to be there and he didn't have dental surgery, then who knows what would have happened. But yeah, may, yeah, maybe things change. That's the situation that we're in now. This could have been the main event. This could have been the first topic we discussed. Um, and people know I like to really get on WWE for stuff like this. But let's just talk about it now. The greatest wrestling match ever. Uh there's a lot to, to go through here. Number one, they brought Edge and Randy Orton back on Raw with zero promotion. And they, after making it such a big deal the week before, they just gave them away to open the show with nothing, not telling anyone to tune in. 
And it boggles my mind. It continues to boggle my mind. I said this Thursday as well. WWE is such a good promotional racket, right? They are able to get mainstream media for reviews for The Undertaker's Last Ride, for you know charity events that they do. They have so many followers on Twitter and so many subscribers on YouTube. But and these and and these shows seem to be booked decently far in advance where you know their storylines going from one episode to the next things that make a lot of sense but at no point on monday did they say hey edge and randy orton are going to be on raw tune in and they didn't promote other things that were you know pretty interesting that happened on the show the return of kevin owens and apollo cruz i don't get what wwe is doing if you want people to tune into your shows promote what is happening aew does a very good job of this saying hey this is our entire match card for next week. Plus, these are the people that are going to show up. You need to tune in. Now, do they always deliver on it? No, just like WWE doesn't always deliver. But they tell you why to tune in. Okay, back to this. No promotion for Edger Orton at the start of the show. And I laughed right off the bat because it began with Charlie Caruso in the ring repeating the line, hey, Edge and Orton, hopefully it happens at Backlash, the greatest wrestling match ever. They did the promos. They were fine. I, maybe the weakest back and forth, the second weakest back and forth between these two following last week. But there is no way in hell that WWE is not setting themselves up for failure because there is no way in hell that Edge and Randy Orton deliver on the promise of greatest wrestling match ever. It's not going to be the greatest match in, in history. It's not going to be the greatest match in WWE overall history, considering what's been going on in NXT. And it's not going to be the best match in WWE main roster history. So I don't know. And Mike at M Stokes pointed this out, a first time writer in our DMs, that Chris, is this all just a reaction to the disappointment of the match at WrestleMania where they felt they needed to say, hey, we gave you that. Now we're going to give you the greatest wrestling match ever or or what else? Like, what are they doing with this promotion? What are they doing with the way they are, bo they are booking this feud and the way they're promoting this match? Well, I, I think they're continuing the feud because of the poor reception at WrestleMania. I, I'm I'm mentally just kind of done with this feud. We had the big blow off. I, I don't understand keeping it going. We got wives involved. RKOs, like we 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 did all that. There's nowhere else to go. I I can only imagine they're continuing it because they want to end it on a better note. A as for this promotion of the greatest wrestling match ever, and I just saw they posted it on their Instagram uh, as well, uh, 12 hours ago. I I think it's got to be a work. I, I think there's something's going to happen where interference or, or just an RKO or, or something's going to happen. I do not think we're going to get a 20 minute straight up wrestling match between these two. I think they're leaning into everybody rolling their eyes at, the, at it and they're going to they're going to swerve us in some way and do something that, that that's that's what I imagine is going to happen because there's no like nobody really thinks they're going to have the greatest wrestling match of all here, time. That's just a match. But here's the argument I'm making. Why would you promote something that you're not going to deliver on to that level? Like. Like what what could the climax to this be? that would make this okay or make it good. That's what I'm saying. I, I don't know. 
I, 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 something is going to happen. I, I'm convinced that something's going to happen, and we're like not going to get a 20 Like a TQ, thirty seconds into it, and they have yeah, something, something like something like that. I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, either an RKO out of nowhere to start, and it's over, or a DQ, or something weird well, happens. I, I cannot tell you what I think is going to be. I just I don't think we're going to get a twenty minute, twenty five minute straight up match between these two. It, it seems weird to me that as well as Paul Heyman is booked raw that they would go and do something like this with Edge, the returning Edge. But, you know, let's let's not act like Edge has been there forever like Orton. And Orton can, you know, Orton had the feud with Jinder Mahal that was really eye-rolling at times, and, and they had the Punjabi prison match. And I actually didn't mind it as much as other people did. But, you know, it, it was it was crap, ultimately. You have Randy Orton, fine, he's been there. He can He can withstand something bad. But Edge is just coming back. They had incredible back and forth promos on the way to WrestleMania. That match disappointed in a major way. You're right. And maybe this is a reaction to that, as Mike said, and as you are saying. But ultimately, you need to have the climax, the conclusion that makes the journey worth it, that makes the dumb promotion worth it. And Paul, as I said, Paul Heyman's a smart guy, right? And you would think that they have something here that is going to make you go, oh, okay, that's either hysterical or really well done or surprising or whatever the case, I just don't see how it's going to actually come to fruition. That's yeah, just- I, I, yeah, I, I don't, I, like I said, I, I'm ready for Edge to move on to different people here. Like I, I, it, when we get somebody having a big return, to have him bogged down with Randy Orton since January has been frustrating. Yeah. I, I know these are interesting times, but you know, Edge only has so many miles left. Let's get him with some new opponents and do some fun things. Seeing him with Randy Orton over and over again is just not, I'm just not very interested in this overall. For sure. Now, uh, we'll talk about what we alluded to earlier in the show, which is Bobby Lashley on Raw being pushed into the main event uh, main event scene alongside MVP. And this is something you and I had been calling for for a while with MVP getting a more prominent managerial role. Uh, his promo backstage about Lashley needing to take his focus away from the clowns in his life, R-Truth and Lana, and focus more on the world title and, and major you know, uh, major success in WWE. I thought it nailed the entire thing that we've been saying with Lashley for a long period of time. And I had a couple people actually DM to me, you know, do you think that this is happening too fast, that Lashley is getting a too quick of a rise into the main event picture? And this is something that WWE does often. They did it with Jack Swagger back in the day ahead of WrestleMania. They brought him back with the new We the People gimmick and they just pushed him right into the main event. But Lashley's a bona fide main eventer, or at least... He has the capability of being a bona fide main eventer in WWE because of his size, because of his pedigree, and everyone knows what he's capable of. And I don't necessarily think that him beating R-Truth alone get him, got him into this position. People are forgetting he had the run in the gauntlet match that was incredibly impressive. Um, he took down a couple people with spears and one-on-one matches very quickly. And yes, he did lose the match to Aleister Black at WrestleMania, but it was a good match. And it was something that you know put him on a higher pedestal than he would have been. And in WWE, they don't really have number one contender rankings. All you really need to do is look impressive and make a challenge. And I think just last week we were talking about a dearth of heels that could actually legitimately challenge McIntyre on Raw. Lashley's one of those heels who can legitimately challenge him. So look, I don't think he's going to win the title, but I love the association with MVP. And I think it's completely fine that after a match with Seth Rollins that tore down the house at Money in the Bank, you know, there wasn't actually a house. That's just a turn of phrase uh, that for Drew to kind of 
not necessarily take a back seat, but take a step down and fight Lashley for the title at Backlash, I'm completely fine with it. And this plays into something I said last week, too, which was that McIntyre is aggressively seeking out opponents here. And that that's where I can understand, you know, he's go, he, he is just as interested in that. He, you know, he had his thing with MVP a few weeks ago. Uh, he is after Lashley as much as Lashley's after him right now, I think. And that's why I can accept it. I, I hate when someone just randomly attacks someone backstage and then you're in a, a title match or something like that. It's got to go both ways here. And I think Drew, not just being a take on all comers guy, but uh, I, I found someone I want to go kick his ass. That I can understand him going after anybody right now because of what they did last week or the last couple of weeks where he was just attacking Selena Vega's group. And I got to say, I'm having some more flashbacks here because, you know, we, we talked about the beatdown clan that included uh, Kenny King, MVP, Bobby Lashley back in TNA. And I, I think 2015, I watched TNA for like a year. And it's funny how like that year, everybody from that era ended up in WWE in some form. And not only that, the Beatdown Clan feuded with a group called The Rising, led by Drew Galloway, known as Drew McIntyre. So I'm having all sorts of TNA flashbacks here when I'm seeing Drew McIntyre and MVP and Bobby Lashley uh, all in the ring doing stuff. Uh, I, I think MVP again, I mean, pardon the, the pun or whatever, but he has been one of the MVPs of Raw for weeks now. And you can see they're putting him in all sorts of situations, contract signings, VIP lounge being a manager, everything he's just touching is going really well. Love seeing him with Lashley. Love seeing him talk talk to Drew and stuff like that. Um, no, I don't think Lashley's going to win. I don't think they're going to have an amazing match or anything. But I can believe and accept and understand everything that's going on right now. And Drew and MVP on the mic are, are keeping me plenty entertained and uh, paying attention as, as this goes along. So I, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with everything going on here. And credit to Lashley for doing a good job working back and forth with with MVP backstage as well. It's you know MVP is leading it, but Lashley's reactions to what he said about Lana yeah. and, and his aggressiveness and the way he's been acting the last few weeks, you know they're doing a good job. And again, let's not act like this is just they threw Lashley this week into the main event picture. They have been building to this over the last almost you know month and a half. So zero issue with it. And the long pants are starting to grow with me for Bobby Lashley. So I like those as well. Uh, I do also, give... also, also a big fan of the return of a, a full Nelson. Always appreciate a good full Yeah, Nelson. I agree with that as well. Totally. I do want to give some respect and appreciation here to Charlotte Flair because, you know, it was hard on her a couple weeks ago. And I think deservedly so when we talked about her selling and, and how she wasn't putting other people over. Um, but what she has been successful at the last week is putting herself over. And... I thought she had a great week across every show that she's been on. She crushed that solo promo that she did on SmackDown. And being able to draw more angst out of the Sasha Banks and Bailey feud was great as well. The storyline on its own with Sasha and Bailey is very good. Uh, Charlotte being added to it as the only other four horsewomen right now, obviously Becky's not available, who understands the relationship and the dynamic and the successes of all the women. I just thought it added so much more, for lack of a better term, meat to that storyline um, that now it, you're even anticipating the Sasha Banks turn on Bailey or vice versa more than you were previously. I don't necessarily love that she'll be back on Friday for a champion versus champion match with Bailey. It's pretty unnecessary. I thought she got the job done last week. The other problem is now Bailey doesn't have a clear challenger at all 
for backlash. Maybe she doesn't defend the title on the show whatsoever. But I thought Charlotte did a great job on Friday. Then moving her to Monday, I thought she had another really good promo leaning into the same as she did on Friday, the expected reaction of fans of, oh my God, what is Charlotte on every show now? They can't, you know, they're shoving her in our faces. That's, yeah. Like she leaned into that completely and is like, you know, they love me so much uh, that they want me on all the shows. They want to prop up the ratings, which again, two weeks ago, uh, according to Dave Meltzer, who goes down those quarter hours on, on every show, I think like Charlotte had the lowest quarter hour on NXT in history a couple of weeks ago. So now she's talking up, I'm a ratings draw on these shows. And I think that's funny and tongue in cheek. So I've had issues with Charlotte's promo ability and her, the way she has sold recently. But I thought the last match she had on NXT, she sold far better than she had. And the last couple of promos that she's cut, she's knocked them out of the park. So I'm not saying I'm suddenly Charlotte Flair's biggest fan. I just think she's been doing great work. I think she's been doing some great work and, and I guess some not great work. I, the SmackDown stuff was, was great. The NXT stuff's been pretty good. I, I'm confused on why she's showing up on Raw. There's the Liv Morgan thing going on now with Liv Morgan cutting a promo and, and crying about her mom, you know, growing up, not having a job. And I, I'm just Charlotte's got her hand in so many things right now. I'm losing track of the NXT title and who's contending for it. And, you know, we, we had people on Raw that were interested in it and the brand to brand interaction. Where does she go here? I, well, I'm just a little confused by all of it more than anything. I think she's done uh, the SmackDown stuff was great. I, the Bailey Sasha stuff loved it. I'm she cuts a promo Monday. I'm just I'm getting confused at where everything's going here. Well, I think the bigger problem, I and mean, let's just be honest, you don't watch NXT. Right. But I'm saying as it relates to Raw and, and Liv Morgan. She's not a title. She's not a title. So what's happening, what they're doing with Charlotte is basically she's involved in an NXT feud for the title. Uh, basically, right. Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley are both going after the title right now. She, uh, Io Shirai was the number one contender. Um, and then the, Charlotte just got DQ'd out of frustration in a match with her. Rhea came back to save Io Shirai. Now there's three women all going for the title. That is what's happening with the title picture. And that is her involvement with the title. There's no other title involvement on Raw or SmackDown right now. SmackDown, she's just there, you know, quote unquote, because Fox wanted ratings. So they brought her in, stirring up shit with, you know, Sasha and Bayley. On Raw, that's still her home brand. So people are going to be challenging her because she's. Is it her home brand? I mean, shouldn't NXT NXT be the home brand now? I don't know. This is what I mean by I'm being confused. If you're the NXT champion, you should be NXT is your main brand. You should be. And that's why the title change and everything they did with her is ridiculous in the first place. They should never have taken it off Ripley. I I maintain that. That's what I'm basically getting at is that Charlotte could be doing the same stuff on SmackDown and Raw and basically not need to be in the NXT title picture. And it's just it's getting a little weird. Completely. You're 100 percent right. And I still don't understand why they're doing it. If they're doing it just to give Rhea Ripley um, a, a a win over a big person, she could have had it at WrestleMania. She could have retained the title. So they didn't need to change it. it there's a lot of confusion over why that happened in the first place. But on Raw, Liv Morgan was kind of only uh, mentioning Charlotte because she lost her greatest opportunity, which was a match, you know, against Charlotte Flair, a champion. That's really all that was. That they're not fighting on Raw for Charlotte's title, her NXT title, but. I do see. I do get your point. It is a lot, and it is a lot of Charlotte. I just think, from a storyline perspective, they're at least explaining it in a way that is not insulting. 
uh, to the viewer, where they instead could have just thrown her on every show and just said, too bad she's there and have her be in storylines and not address why she's on those shows. The fact that yeah. they're going to that level to me shows they're actually putting some thought into it. Right. I would like them to address more where things stand with her in the NXT title when she's on Raw, just cutting a promo. Explain, show highlights of what happened for her in NXT. And basically, if you're going to have her on all these shows, you might as well tie all of her storylines together in some form or at least acknowledge that she has all these things going on and not kind of pretending she's doing three different characters or just three different storylines that are completely separate. You might as well bring in the NXT stuff, hype up NXT. Hey, watch NXT on Wednesday to see what Charlotte's going to do. This is what happened last week. Because it's just, it's getting confusing if, if when Charlotte's, where her thinking is just because of how many different things she's doing right now. And I feel like there's a way you could just tie it together, I think, a little bit better and, and play have it play off each other. So, hey, I'm going to watch the next thing that Charlotte's on because of what I just saw now because of what they told me. No, I think that's completely fair. And, and you know, the reason she has the title is clearly to promote NXT and put more eyeballs on NXT, but they don't promote her well on NXT. So again, it goes right. back to what I was talking about earlier. Um, one of the other big headlines, and for me, it's just a lot of people I like all working together. So for me, I care a lot about it. Is Seth Rollins adding a new disciple? I thought it was another short-term, well-told story with Austin Theory dating back to last week, uh, weaving you know Rollins and, and his mental state and obviously AOP no longer being there. So his disciple number is depleting uh, with the Zelina Vega group that kind of only added Austin Theory because Andrade was injured and was unable to compete at WrestleMania on a match that they booked at short notice as it was. Uh, so they got Austin Theory out of her group and made him the newest disciple for Seth Rollins in a story and in a moment that was almost identical to what happened to Murphy previously. Theory was cast aside uh, after interference in a tag team match and immediately recruited. Uh, Murphy had just lost to Black, was down on his luck, sitting ringside despondent, and immediately recruited by Seth Rollins to help to help him in a match that Seth Rollins had coming up, just like Murphy, I'm sorry, uh, Theory helped Murphy in a match he was having with Aleister Black. I thought that was extremely smart. Earlier in the show, they had Murphy solidifying his relationship with Seth Rollins by standing behind him and then stepping up as Humberto Carrillo tried to challenge him. Murphy's like, no, I'm fighting later in the show, but I'm still going to fight you now. So now you have Murphy as a dedicated disciple. You have Austin Theory as a new disciple. I didn't necessarily need to see the Aleister Black Murphy match again. So I was totally cool with it being a disqualification. There's probably going to be some type of six man tag team match. I would assume a backlash with all of them involved. Maybe uh, Aleister Black, Kevin Owens and Apollo Crews against Murphy, Rollins, and Theory, let's say. Um, I, I was great with it. I think Austin Theory under Seth Rollins, you want to talk about getting a young 22-year-old guy to develop quickly? You put him with a guy who joined WWE as a pretty young dude himself and, and is now one of their biggest stars. I think it's a win-win-win. I think it helps Murphy, it helps Theory, and it helps Seth Rollins. And a big shout-out to Murphy's sleeves, Yes, new gear, the, the stained glass look. Uh, tremendous, tremendous all across the board. Um, I, I like the way it happened. I, I like the idea of there was cast aside. Rollins is there to bring him in. Works great. This is another one, I think, where it helped Seth that there was no crowd. I think the silence, it puts all the emphasis on the facial expressions. And Seth continues to knock out of the park with that. Uh, as opposed to if there was a crowd saying things, you'd kind of get you kind of lose the moment. So I think that all worked out great. Um, 
everything, like you said, liked it. My only problem was it was tough to see uh, a division in the ranks, which we knew was coming, but a bit of a breakup uh, of Zelina Vega's group here because we've only had them for a, not that long a period of time. And if you knock them down to three people, it's not a faction anymore. It's a group, as Correct. we as we determined weeks ago on what makes a faction. Very good. So, so uh, I, I was a little disappointed in that because I, I wanted to keep seeing more from Zelina Vega's then faction because I was a big fan of it. But in terms of how this played out, it's great. We'll, we'll, we'll see where things go. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I thought the execution was was very, very good once again uh, from Seth. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be so surprised if Andrade drops the United States Championship to Apollo Crews and they become a tag team. Um, meaning Andrade, they meaning Andrade and Angel Garza to go up against the Street Profits and maybe even take the titles off them or the Viking Raiders or whatever the case. I think they need another tag team on Raw. They would work extremely well together. Uh, Andrade's US title run has done the job by giving him prominence, but he hasn't defended it. He's been suspended, injured, or in, involved in other storylines the entire time he's had it. Um, and I don't really know where they're going with it. So either he's going to start defending that title and Garza is going to be his backup or they're going to be a tag team. But that kind of leads me into KO and Apollo Crews returning. I thought Apollo Crews had a great return. His backstage promo was really solid. That's like two promos in a row for him that have been very good. But they brought back Kevin Owens. Again, no announcement that he was going to be on the show. Uh, and I thought the segment was terrible. Uh, his promo in the ring, hey, hey, I had my WrestleMania moment and I got hurt. And then he's on the ring apron and, he, and then Apollo Crews runs in. It's like, he got Kevin Owens back on the show. He just beat Seth Rollins. He should be like saying, hey, I'm focused on the world title. Hey, I have all these goals I want to accomplish. I'm here to kick some ass, whatever. And he's just playing host of a show to introduce another guy in Apollo Crews. I thought it was a very weak return for Kevin Owens. Yeah, for everything you just said right there. I had I'd honestly, I was like, wait a minute. We last saw this guy when he beat Seth Rollins and then we just didn't really hear anything from him. You, you, when you have face Kevin Owens, he, he's definitely a guy who needs a crowd, I think, as a face. He's the real like man of the people type of, of deal. And it's certainly hard to play that role without a crowd. But you wanted to see some some passion there. And it was just kind of it felt kind of by the numbers. Um, also, this is kind of a, a, a larger point, but the idea of WWE talk shows all being the exact same thing set up in the ring we saw with Miz TV on, yep. on Friday. Yep. I, it, it, this has been a trend for a long time, but I, I really hate how every talk show is just chairs in the ring. Like there's nothing that separates anything. There's no Piper's pit or, 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 or all the other sets they used to have. And especially at a time like now, when you're just stuck in the performance center, you don't need, you can just make a set and leave it there and, and continue to do talk show segments from the set and build some, character there to add to to the character this person who loves his place you kind of got it with the firefly funhouse that's not really a talk show but I, I just thought about that when i saw natty destroying the stuff and in the ko show and i realized we just had ms tv and i'm like there's nothing different between any of these it's just a setup for a promo and, I, and and i didn't like the execution of what happened like you said i agree with that i will say though i do give them a little credit for the natalia spot because that was unique sure. and different where they're, yeah, they're, they're I, bringing I, I, in the I, stuff I like that She's supposed to be out of the ring, but she's not letting them. And then she throws a temper tantrum. And like that was kind of like good, um, just that it was different. But you're but you're right. We keep talking about, hey, they're in the performance center. It's boring. Right. 
Daly's Place with AEW, they have, forget the people in the crowd and all that, they have an outdoor atmosphere. There's fireworks, there's pyro, there's, there's things that they're able to do. WWE, what they're able to do is they have money, and like you said, they're able to create sets. I would love to see them in the backstage area, like you said, create a Miz TV set and allow things to happen outside of the in-ring area. This is actually the next topic I was gonna get into, um, and we'll talk about it briefly, uh, but like the Oscar Kyrie Sane, Nia Jax thing. They had the celebration in the ring, okay, that was dressed up, it was cool, it was really funny. I thought Kyrie Sane was endless, endlessly entertaining uh, with the recorder. Her English was fantastic and caught me by surprise. I knew, I knew she could speak English. I didn't know it was that good. Uh, Asuka, I thought, was good in there. I think Nia Jax sucks on the mic, but what I liked about this despite me thinking Nia Jax's promo was terrible, was they continued it backstage. They showed them celebrating. Then Kyrie Sane got attacked when they separated while she was playing the recorder, which again was funny. Then Asuka's checking on her. Then Asuka you know, runs into Nia Jax and kicks her ass backstage. You saw other backgrounds and other things and it made you think, oh, there's other stuff going on besides what's happening in the ringside area. It was such a good use of all of that that's what WWE needs to do more of with the Performance Center. Have people working out in the gym before their match and someone walks in and interrupts them. Although that gym area may have gotten cleared out, I'm not sure, you know, for whatever they're doing in the backstage. But my point is, use what you have at your disposal. And I think with the Oscar situation with Kyrie Sane, they did the best, they've put their best foot forward in that regard on Monday night. Yeah, and, and you mentioned... AEW has been doing it. You saw when they had that street fight and they go out into the concourse, they go out onto the football field. Cody's arriving. Uh, you show him arriving in the truck and he's walking right out. Like there's this show. There's like a bigger world than just what's happening between these empty walls. And especially when it's not like you're traveling and, right. and you can set the stuff up for the long term and, and set up a bunch of stuff. And yeah, it's just there, there's so much opportunity to be creative here. We've seen it in bits and pieces at times, but I, I still feel like it's just a lot of missed opportunities and what they could do instead of continuing to try to give us the same stuff over and over. Real quick, uh, I have a couple more quick hitters before we get out of here. But what do you think? I'm just going back to the Seth Rollins conversation. What do you think about Ruby Riot being the next disciple? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I want more than anything, I want Seth's team to get a fourth person here because yeah. I want a faction. We lost a faction. We It's so rare we have a faction with a manager. Uh, I really enjoyed having that, and I would love Ruby Riot being there. Maybe Liv Morgan uh, could be that as well with kind of how she's handling sure. things. So I, I, I think it's a great idea. I, I, would love, I, would, I would love that. Yeah, I just think, you know, having Ruby Riot lose to – Charlotte was fine. You know, she, she's not someone that that needs necessarily to beat Charlotte. But I kind of wish they gave her a little bit of a post-match despondency the way they did Natalia, because I don't see Natalia becoming a disciple. She's a veteran. That, that doesn't make yeah. much sense. Ruby Riot in that role, she would fit them perfectly. And yep. I would absolutely love to maybe you even reform her a little bit. She covers some of her tattoos and her hair is all black instead of the green. And, you know, she starts dressing more conservatively or whatever the case fit to look more like Seth Rollins, I just think it would be really smart. Uh, a couple more things before we get out of here. Uh, the axe throwing last night. Look, the karaoke was bad. We're going to have a disagreement here. We're going to have another big disagreement. That's here. fine. That's fine. We can. The karaoke was bad. Uh, the basketball, I thought, was entertaining and funny and borderline great the way they actually pulled it off. This axe throwing was beyond stupid. The fact that it was five segments was ridiculous. 
uh, go tell me why I'm wrong. Because it was, it was just shit TV. I, I loved it. I, I, I think it's getting better each week now that there's... Again, this is what I said when they went from... I, I think it was beating up Cedric Alexander uh, in, in Ricochet to then to karaoke, back to them beating someone up or something like that, and then going to the basketball. It was, it was confusing what they were trying to be. Now that we've gotten two straight weeks of this, I'm starting to see more of it and feel what they're going for. And I thought the act storing was funny. Like the basketball I thought was okay. And then I thought this just, they took it up, but they took it up another notch. They, they went farther with it. They made, they added more people. They made it funnier. They took it onto the Viking side this time. Every time their segment was, I saw a segment of theirs come up. I was like, Whoa, I'm paying attention here. That last one was pretty good. I'm going to keep watching it. I was just a big, a big fan of it. It, it in the context of pro wrestling. No, it doesn't make any sense. But well, I, I don't care about that. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it being outside the world of pro wrestling. I, again, the basketball stuff I thought was great. I just think that you have two teams both being corny, right? When the street profits are supposed to be cool and and funny, and the Viking Raiders are supposed to be badass. So if you want to take the street profits and have them be cool, and then have the Viking Raiders and have them be corny, then I'm okay with that because you're. The, the dynamics are, are hitting into each other. Or if you want the Viking Raiders to be badass and you want the Street Profits to be funny and corny, then the same thing. But instead, they're both kind of making each other more lame. And whereas in the basketball uh, segment, I thought this, the Viking Raiders still maintained some edge. In this segment, I, I didn't. I didn't think so. I, I I was not a big fan of how they were portrayed. It, 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 how they were portrayed in in the basketball for well, the reasons that we kind of said. It, it, you're right that they're going from badasses to corny, and that was my problem. Week to week, it kept changing. If they're going to go corny, corny two weeks in a row, like and that's what we're going to be. I can get behind that. I just got to know that we're going to stick with this, and not two weeks from now they're going to come out as Vikings and dominate, and it's not funny anymore. Like that. That's my biggest problem is inconsistency with it. Now we got two weeks in a row. I, I got into it more. I, I, I'm starting to remember who's who on the Viking Raiders, whose name is Eric and who's, uh, who's Ivar. I still don't uh, know. I still, I still don't know who's who. The one with the <laughs> long beard who off the non-bald one is Ivar. Cause okay. Eric is Eric came over to the street province and extra and said something like, Hey, we got you fam. And I don't know why that made me laugh out loud when I heard him say that. I, I thought it was funny when the when the cop lady showed up. I thought they were going to dis disperse the axe throwing for social distancing purposes. when I saw that and, and, and it, I don't know if it would have made sense. When, but that was my thought when I saw it. And I thought it was fine. I thought it was funny. She thought Ibar was cute and Eric wasn't. I don't know. I just I thought I, I bought into it this week after after being in it last week and not liking the karaoke. If they're going to stick with this, I can get behind it. Okay. I mean, we will agree to disagree there. Let's see what happens next week. Maybe they win me back. Um, but I am just simply not loving it right now. Or at least I didn't like uh, the axe throwing. Uh, we'll get out of here on this in terms of the main topics we're talking about. I thought WWE this past week has done a really good job getting more women on television. Uh, Liv Morgan we mentioned had that backstage promo where, you know, she basically chalked herself up to her mother and, and that her mom had determination and and, you know, bounced back from from difficulties in life. And she, after losing to Charlotte Flair, sees herself the same way. They're doing this storyline of Liv Morgan finding herself. And I'm fine with it. Some people don't like it. 
Um, they think it's cliche, but I don't. I, I don't really remember WWE doing a storyline with a younger woman trying to figure out who she is in the context of her professional career. So for me, I like it. They had Naomi lose again to Dana Brooke, which again, it's kind of like an eye roll, but it's a storyline. Clearly she's looking to, she looked despondent in the ring. She was confused about what's happening in her career. Obviously this is, I think a two-time women's champion. Natalia, we mentioned before throwing the temper tantrum after losing to Baszler. Uh, they had the women's tag team titles be defended. I, I know that they have been consistently on TV, especially with the Kabuki warriors, but they haven't necessarily been defended in a while. So I thought the DQ was annoying, but we're getting more of the iconics. We saw some development in their team backstage. Uh, certainly um, Nikki Cross and, and Alexa Bliss looked good in the ring. So there has been a concerted effort to put more female storylines on TV. And so far, so good, in my opinion. Yeah, so go, going through those, I, I like the idea of the Liv Morgan thing they're going for. I just, I don't know if the execution's been there yet. You know, when, when they're talking about her growing up or something like that, you know, show us some some family photos or, or something like that. Live as a kid, some more imagery to get us behind it other than Liv just looking at us and crying. I, I think there could be something there. Uh, I just, I don't know if the execution has quite been there yet. We don't really know kind of where it's where it's going. The Iconics, I was, uh, I was a little annoyed by the DQ, but I rewound it and watched it again and I was okay with it because it was at least deserving of a DQ this time. Unlike the Seth Rollins one we got last week where the ref just immediately called it for no reason during a tag team match. You know, uh, they, they, they throw, uh, who, I don't know if it was Alexa, or, uh, in, into the ring post like three times, Peyton Royce did, so it, it made sense to be a DQ. When I saw Billy Kay slapper, I was like, oh no, we're going to get an Iconics breakup here, and this is going to go nowhere, you, I don't want this yet. But then they made up, and that was a, a little different thing. May, maybe it's planting the seeds for a, a breakup down the road, but I, do, I really don't want to see that, and maybe... That incident will bring them closer together. You can go somewhere else with it. So I, I think that's fine. And with Naomi, D Dana Brooke, it's, I don't know, it's it's weird to have, I, I guess they're probably going somewhere with it, as you can kind of tell. But having Naomi lose to Dana Brooke after Dana Brooke made herself look like a fool at Money in the Bank is is not a great look. So I, Naomi's kind of just been floating there for, for, for a while. Maybe a change, some sort of change would be good. So uh yeah, you're right that they're getting more women on in different ways. And I think there's certainly pieces here that can be pretty good stuff. Now, we do have a lot of show left. Getting Overtime is coming up shortly. But before we get to that, the former NXT women's champion, Rhea Ripley, joins Getting Over for the first time. Excited to welcome former NXT and NXT UK Women's Champion Rhea Ripley to the show for the very first time. You can watch Rhea battle on NXT each week at 8 p.m. And this week she faces off with none other than Io Shirai. That's 8 p.m. Eastern on the WWE Network. Rhea, it has been quite a whirlwind for you uh, over the last year or so. But I kind of wanted to start taking you all the way back to when you began wrestling. Uh, from what I can tell, around age 16, what prompted you to get started so young, and were your parents uh, down with that? Hey, um, yeah, man, I did start really, really young. Um, it's it's been a wild ride ever since, but I've I've loved wrestling for a long, long time, and I've always been up for a new challenge. Like I played every sport that you could think of. I played soccer for nine years. I played netball, netball for like, I want to say seven. I've played pretty much everything. 
Wrestling was the only thing that I hadn't done, and I enjoyed watching it so much. I was like, you know what, I'm going to try this out. Um, so I had my tryout when I was 16 years old. I got in and I started, and I've been hustling ever since. Like I've just been working, 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 and trying to perfect my craft and get better at what I love. Um, to see how far I've come now is just absolutely insane. And my parents, my parents weren't very excited about it to start with. <laughs> they were just like, why are you doing this? Can't you just do something like normal, you know, like in their words? I love wrestling. Wrestling right. is normal to me. But they were like, can you do anything like normal? Like you need to think of like your schooling and like getting a job and all of this stuff. I was like, mom, that's not very important to me. Like if I work <laughs> hard enough, I can make a name for myself, you know, <laughs> which luckily like for it sure. worked out. It doesn't work out for everyone. But yeah, they weren't, they weren't too supportive to start off with. I mean, like they drove me to training pretty much every night. They waited for me. So they were always there, but they were like wishing that I was doing something else. Um, until I had my first match and I had my first match and they were like, boom, like behind me ever since. They were like, you had so much fun. You were so proud and confident of yourself while, while being in the ring. And it was just absolutely amazing. Like they had so much fun at my first show. They were so proud of me, and ever since then, like, my mom, man, every time someone comes over, my sister tells me all the time, <laughs> I'm the only thing that my mom talks about. <laughs> so, it's pretty obvious that, like, she's proud of me now. <laughs> Is she, like, always, like, throwing on WWE Network, like, hey, you gotta see... You gotta see Rhea's May Young Classic match. This is so good. Like, is she that, like, to oh. the point where she makes people watch her matches? All the time. All the time. <laughs> like, every time someone comes over, even, like, while I'm at home, like, over there at Christmas time or whatever, and someone comes over, she's like, I have to show you Demi's match. <laughs> I'm just like, Mom, can we not? Like, I've seen this match. I was in this match. Like, they don't want to watch my match. <laughs> That's hysterical. And by the way, you can watch all those on the WWE Network. I screwed up earlier. NXT airs on USA Network at 8 p.m. Eastern every Wednesday. So let's make sure that is very clear. Um, when you were growing <laughs> up, was it was it just you who was the wrestling fan? Did you have a group of friends? Clearly, it wasn't your parents. Um, like a couple other <laughs> girls or guys that that were really into it, or were you kind of out there on an island? Like you're the one, lone person who likes wrestling. And you just kind of saw to it that you made a career out of it. Um, so I pretty much had like one wrestling friend. We had like these really mm -hmm. close family friends and their kids, they sort of watch wrestling. I was like the same age as their, their son, but their daughter, she's the same age as my sister, which is like three years younger than me. And she absolutely loved wrestling. Um, she's the person that showed me the first wrestling clip that I had seen. She was absolutely in love with it. So she was like the person that I hung out with and talk to about wrestling. <laughs> we wrestled on the trampoline a few times. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, my dad likes wrestling. He just didn't want me doing it. I was like his little daughter, his little princess. Um, but he did, he liked it at the same time. Um, I come to find out that my nonna, like my grandpa on my mom's side, he loved wrestling and he watched it all the time, which I didn't know. Um, I was too young to realize what he was watching. But, yeah, she was she was definitely the one that I talked to the most. Everyone at school was just like, oh, wrestling, blah, 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 like, who cares? No, I didn't really have anyone at school um, to talk about it with. So it was pretty much just my, my family friend. 
um, which which definitely made it hard, but people that truly love it stick with it, and I stuck with it. Yeah, you absolutely did. Now, WWE kind of brought you in, you know, for that first May Young Classic when you were around 20. Um, what was that recruitment like? How did they really get in contact you, get in contact with you? And did you ever really consider not going? Because, I mean, certainly, you know, America uh, is a far ways away uh, from <laughs> Australia, and you were young at the same time as well. Yeah, I mean, it's at my life, like, if I actually jotted down notes, I would have an amazing book to write. Um, I actually got a tryout from WWE when I was 17 years old when they came to Australia. Um, I don't know how they got my email, but they emailed me, and I sent back all my information, and they were like, oh, we didn't realize you were 17 years old. Maybe contact us when you're 21. <laughs> I was like, damn, bummer. So I went in anyway, and I like I met with Canyon, shook his hand, um, introduced myself, mm-hmm. and that was about it. I didn't participate in the tryout. But then when I was 20, they ended up coming back to Australia, and Canyon reached out to me again. He's like, hey, I know you're not 21, but we have a tryout coming up. We would like you to be a part of it. I was like, sweet killer, yeah, I'll be there. Like, <laughs> Count me in, I'm in. Um, so I went there, did the tryout. Um, I guess they liked me because they hired me. And then I was supposed to come in to the PC a month before the first May Young Classic. But something went wrong with my visa and it was just like a whole schmuggle and I got to America late. Obviously, like, it's very sad leaving my family and I do love Australia. I miss Australia. I miss everyone there. But I knew that to chase my dreams and succeed in something that I love, I had to leave them behind. Um, so coming to America was very, very hard. It still is every day. It's very hard. Um, but I ended up coming here to America, and I had two weeks to prepare for the first Young Classic. 20-year-old wow. me, absolutely terrified, walked into the PC. I didn't really know too many people. Like, I... I knew Dakota Kai, I sort of knew the Iconics, I sort of knew PM61, but other than that, like, I sort of knew Buddy, but at the same time, like, I I didn't really know them at the same time, so, like, walking in, I was the new kid. I missed my class because I was late, so it was all me by myself. <laughs> Absolutely terrified <laughs> of the world. <laughs> but it was super cool to be a part of the first May Young Classic, and even though I hate myself, for being so bubbly and cheery the whole time. Like, it was a great learning curve, and I was so glad to be a part of it. Well, over that next year, from the first Mayon Classic to the second Mayon Classic, obviously you completely changed your look, your attitude, you know, how you presented yourself in the ring. And I know you've been asked that a ton of times, but what I'm kind of curious about is, was that always a side of you that was inside? Like, is that the type of music you like to listen to? Is that the way... You kind of always wanted to present yourself, but you didn't for some reason? Or was that just something that came with kind of growing up and and finding yourself? Um, That is 110% me. Um, Like, I love listening to that sort of music. That's that's how I acted in Australia. Um, Mm -hmm. The first May Young, I was sort of just like, because I was so new and so timid and scared, I just really wanted to please everyone. So I was, like, taking in all the criticism that I was getting and just trying my best to do everything that people were asking from me just to please them. And that didn't 
and well for me. Like I absolutely, I look back at it now and I'm like, I hate myself. Like, <laughs> but that whole year from the first May Young Classic to the second May Young Classic, like I went through a lot, a lot of stuff at the PC and a lot of stuff at home mentally. Um, mm-hmm. I had my own struggles and all of that. So I learned and I taught myself not to really, not to not care, but not take everything in and not take everything so seriously and literally. Um, so going into the second May Young Classic, I gained a lot of confidence in myself because I sort of like found the me that I knew I was. Um, and yeah, I, I love it. Like the second May Young Classic, I had so many good matches there. I, I still go back and watch it. Like I, I went back and watched my match with Eo just to study what we did and what I did, what she did, so I could get ready for our match this Wednesday. Um, but yeah, that's that's 110 percent me. It's, that's organic. That's me when I get angry, you know. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you said that because I've I've told a, a former co-host of mine who he watched the first May Young Classic and he was like, it was, it was good, it was fine, but didn't watch the second one. And I kept trying to tell people the second May Young Classic is really as good as it gets in terms of women's wrestling, especially like the semifinals and the finals. And, and you mentioned it. That match that you had with Io Shirai was definitely one of my favorites on the show. And the fact that we're now seeing that reignite in NXT, I think a lot of people are really excited about that. So you're in the middle of the title picture, obviously. You're working with her. What is that experience like working with Io Shirai who, you know, look, let's be honest, a lot of people say that she's maybe the best women's wrestler in the world, if not one of the best women's wrestler in the world, and certainly has that experience coming from Japan in a in a wrestling scene that is somewhat different than the one in Australia and the United States. Uh, I'm so excited. Like, the first time that I got to step in the ring with EO, it was totally unplanned, and I wasn't exactly ready, but we did pull off a fantastic match, and it is one of my favorites. So to be able to step in the ring with her again, I am super, super excited. She is definitely one of the best in the world at what she does. And I got to give her all the credit. Like, I can't discredit her in any way possible because she is absolutely fantastic. Um, and I, I've definitely read online that a lot of people are excited about this match, which <laughs> makes me a little bit nervous because I have been off for a month. So, and I haven't had any gyms open or the PC open or anything. So I'm a little bit nervous within myself. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm super excited and I can't wait to see what sort of magic we make in the ring. For sure. Now, we can obviously go on forever about NXT UK and NXT. And you may not have had the WrestleMania moment that you expected, not just in terms of how the match went, but the location. But you, when you won the NXT Women's Championship, that was a pretty unique moment, you know, in full sail with all the fans kind of lifting you up. What was it like to experience a championship victory like that? And, you know, do, do you kind of equate that to your your big moment in WWE right now? Is that is that right now when you think back on your career, what you're remembering most so far? Yeah, definitely. That was definitely my biggest moment that I've had that hit me so much within my heart. Um, it was incredible to have everyone come in the ring afterwards and celebrate was totally special and it's something that I'm never going to forget and it was definitely a career defining moment um it was it was super cool like I I did the whole match and I was so pumped by the end that when everyone came in 
like I just turned into an animal. I was like, I got picked up for one, and I don't normally get picked up, so that was a bit terrifying. <laughs> I was like, please don't drop me. Like, I'm not used to this. I, I keep my feet on the ground unless I'm doing a drop kick. That's terrifying. Um, but to have everyone come in the ring and sort of have like a little mosh pit, it was it was very special. And yeah, it's definitely my favorite career-defining moment that I've had. Now, I did want to ask you this, because there were some, you know, strange reports that came out after WrestleMania, and I know you kind of addressed it on your social media, but I just wanted to get, like, the real story, if there was one at all, that you might have to go back to Australia to renew a work visa, and you weren't able to compete, and that's why you ended up losing the title. Do you want to clear all that up? Like, what actually did or did not happen with any of that? So, I think I did an interview before WrestleMania, and it was before the world was ending pretty much right and and i was saying that my parents were supposed to come down for wrestlemania to share this moment with me and then i had to go back to australia to redo my visa and then my sister was coming back over um because of everything that's gone down in the world my parents obviously couldn't come down for wrestlemania there was no crowd in attendance Mm -hmm. um only the essential personnel in the building all of that um, and obviously I can't go back home to Australia to redo my visa. So <laughs> I don't know where people got it from. Like the airports are closed. Like I can't go anywhere. I've been posting <laughs> pictures in my apartment. I have no idea how people like keep saying that I'm in Australia. Um, but I can't get there because then if I manage to get into Australia, there is no way that I can come back to America for possibly two years. That's what the right. Australian airport's like. Like they might not be doing international travel for two years. Um, wow. So I have to do my visa stuff from America. I'm not too entirely sure how they're doing it, but I'm letting WWE handle it because I'm not good at being adult. So <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but it's, it's being worked out, and I can definitely compete. The whole month after Mania was a time for me to sort of rest and relax and regenerate, and it was just a time that I needed for myself. And I think... WWE needed as well because they had seen so much of me for like so long. It was a good rest period. You, you know that's a really that's actually a really good point. You you were you were so front facing for such a long period of time that to kind of have that brief break and now to bring you back uh, with such an exciting storyline and two other women and Io Shirai and obviously Charlotte Flair as well. Uh, that's really as as good as you can ask for. So I'll get you out of here on this last question. Um, like I just said, Charlotte Flair, you're working with. Io Shirai, you've worked with Tony, of course. Who Who is there that is that dream match for you right now? You know, someone like Sasha, Asuka. When you when you think about, hey, if I can have any match anywhere right now, who would you want to work with? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, I would definitely love to face Beth Phoenix if she were to ever come back for singles competition. Mm-hmm. Like, I would, I would love that. Um, if I had to choose someone... From let's say NXT, um, I would love to do something with Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. Um, going from the Road Loop shows and Coconut shows over here in America, and tagging with Raina for, uh, Raquel for so long, um, to then be able to face her on NXT TV would be incredible. I feel like we'd have really good chemistry in the ring because we do know each, know each other so well. I would love to do something with them too. 
Absolutely. Well, you can watch Rhea Ripley fight Io Shirai this Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. And you can hopefully see, have her see, see her facing Dakota Kai and, and uh, Raquel Gonzalez and everyone else that NXT has to offer in the coming weeks again, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern on USA Network. Rhea, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this week. No worries, mate. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks once again to Rhea Ripley for joining the show. Uh, you know, for those of you who have listened to our interviews over the last few weeks, you can clearly tell the audio for those, the way I record them is not up to our standards. I'm doing the best I can to figure out the method uh, for recording interviews that will work the best and sound the best while we still, uh, you know, work through our process here in terms of lacking equipment for the show. But I do hope that all of that resolves itself sooner than later. Nevertheless, appreciate WWE and Rhea Ripley uh, giving us the opportunity to speak with her ahead of a big match against Io Shirai this Wednesday on NXT. Now let's move into getting overtime where I, I answer uh, some of your WWE questions before we get out of the show today. And we're going to start with Chad Placinka. I don't exaggerate. Hold on, I forgot the sound. Uh, Chad writes, Until Friday, I equated Otis with Hacksaw Jim Duggan as a blue-collar neanderthal figure with an omni- omniopedic catchphrase, mostly used for comedic relief. The family photos and his subtle humor and commentary in his real voice added layers to his character. And now I am thinking he can move way beyond Hacksaw. What do you think range and ceiling are for Otis as a character? Um, You know, I think Hacksaw Jim Duggan is a pretty damn good WWE comparison for him. But I don't really look at Otis when I compare him uh, to a superstar. I look at him very much in a Chris Farley manner. It seems like WWE is trying to use him in that way where you're rooting for him. He's the underdog but he's funny and silly, um, but at the same time, he can be successful when he puts his mind to it. Think about Tommy Boy. Like once he actually figured out the way to sell car parts, he became a very successful uh, salesman. So that's kind of how I look at Otis more than anything else. I do think Hacksaw Jim Duggan is an interesting comparison though. Certainly Otis has more personality and I think probably range than Duggan did. But that, of course, he was playing a certain role at that time, and Otis is being asked to do something completely different. So it does remain to be seen. Look, you know, I think Otis, as a dude, he seems like a really good dude. Uh, It's awesome that he's getting this opportunity. I've said it a million times. I just don't happen to think that him being in this role is the right fit. I don't believe it. And when you're in professional wrestling and you're covering it, you're talking about it and you're watching it, it's all about the suspension of disbelief. This is almost a step too far, both how the match ended, um, really everything that happened on on Friday night. And I'm really curious to see what they do with him going forward. And I know that Black Sabre Jr. at Black Sabre Jr. has an idea of his own. He asks, are we going to see Sonya carry Dolph to becoming Mr. Money in the Bank again? And I think that is a legitimate question. It seems that I believe we have the mixed tag team match this week, Sonya and Dolph Ziggler against Mandy, Rose, and Otis. And I could see a scenario where the feud gets to such a point where Ziggler challenges Otis for the briefcase. Maybe Mandy costs it, costs him it for some reason in that match, um, or Sonya interferes and Mandy responds and distracts Otis, and he loses the briefcase to Ziggler. I can definitely see it happening. You know, there's, it's only been, you know, I'd really have to go back and look at it, but I think 
The briefcase has only actually been on the line once in WWE, if memory serves. Uh, and in that case, I don't think it did change ultimately. So uh, it would be a pretty big letdown for WWE to go to the lengths of giving Otis this win, only to take the briefcase off him and put it on Ziggler, who, look, I want Ziggler to be champion again as, as much as anyone else does. I think he's great. I love the work he's doing with Sonya right now. Them as a really strange like couple but of friends that just have each other's back, man and woman, and are both dark and sadistic. I really like it. Uh, but it's Sonya right now that's carrying that duo. So she should really be the one front and center. And I think giving Dolph the opportunity to win the briefcase, it's probably just unnecessary. At the same time, I don't want to see Otis face Dolph and beat him for a third time just to retain the briefcase. So for me, I kind of want to stay away from that. We have A.A. Ron at Chef Aaron 26 and Moose is joining me for this question. Just walked into the office. Um, he says, would you say Kayfabe is completely dead with the Divas and Bella Twins reality show and the shows on the network? It's basically smartened wrestling fans to the realities of the characters and show business as a whole. It's a good question. I think the answer depends on how much and what portions of WWE's product you consume. Most people who watch WWE, I, I think people still forget this. Most people who consume the product watch Raw and SmackDown. That's it. Many of them don't watch pay-per-views. Most of them don't watch NXT. And in terms of being subscribers to the network and consuming all of the content that all of us do on a regular basis, they don't do that. Now, the Bella Twins reality show and the Divas reality show, those certainly factor in a little bit more because those do get significant ratings. But I think a lot of the audience for both of those shows are just the e-network audience. Uh, it's their demographic, not necessarily the WWE demographic. So those are all showing things that happened in the past when you watch those shows. There is still some semblance of kayfabe kept in those shows. There are things that they don't give away despite them showing them hanging out backstage. Realize like even for Miz and Mrs., for the most part, Miz hangs out with people you know, that are either other heels or people that you already know he's friends with. So they're not really breaking the walls that much. Um, so is Kayfabe dead? No, it's not completely dead, especially when you consider how many other companies there are and how much other wrestling is out there. I think in terms of WWE TV, it's very much alive. And that is why I think some people get upset when Vince is like, hey, Roman's, we don't know when Roman Reigns is going to come back. Let's keep mentions of him off TV. And people are like, well, in real life, you know, he's one of your biggest stars. And why wouldn't you talk about it? And, and why wouldn't you want to show him occasionally on TV? Because well, in Vince's mind, Roman's not there. He didn't fight at WrestleMania. People are starting to forget about him out of sight, out of mind. So when Roman comes back and it's a surprise, or maybe it's not even a surprise, even if they promote it, you're not longing for Roman every single week because you're not seeing references to him all the time on television. So I think in terms of the main shows, Kayfabe's Alive, but depending on your consumption of WWE, and I think a lot of you that listen to this podcast, and I know myself personally, I consume a lot of WWE. I mean, yeah, it's kind of dead because, <laughs> I mean, it's 2020 and there's Dirt Sheets and there's Reddit and there's PW Insider and, and there's all these, you know, great reporters and, and writers out there that are able to break a lot of news. And at the same time, like, like you mentioned, uh, Aaron, WWE opens itself up to the broken kayfabe through the Stone Cold interviews through the Last Ride documentary, etc. So, no, I don't think kayfabe's dead, but 
it is not to the level that it was certainly in the 80s, which I think a lot of people, you know, some would prefer. Uh, personally, I like kind of how things are right now. I mean, even in the 90s, growing up as a wrestling fan, it was fun to like find the dirt sheets and find the little inside news and know more than your friends. The thing that sucks now is everyone seems to know everything. So that is a bigger deal to me than quote unquote kayfabe being dead. That That is not something I worry too much about. But what I do worry about is all of you who listen to this show, making sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts to drop those five-star ratings and reviews. They're very important. You guys know how much I appreciate them. I see I see like a handful, a handful of them trickle in every single week. Let's do double digits, okay? Two handfuls this week. Let's amp up those, those ratings. I think I'm at 193 reviews right now. Let's get that over 200 plus uh, before the week is out. But I appreciate all you guys that do take the time to leave the ratings and the reviews. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And you can follow me at Silverstein Adam. And please tell a friend, a family member, a coworker, tell whoever you know who likes wrestling about this show. It is the fastest and best way that we can grow. Word of mouth is key. Getting Over will be back on Thursday with our recaps of NXT and AEW Dynamite. Should be a really big week on those shows. Thanks once again to Chris Vanini for joining me. Thanks to former NXT champion Rhea Ripley for joining me. That's four interviews on this podcast so far, folks. Drew McIntyre, the WWE champion, Seth Rollins, Aleister Black, and Rhea Ripley. Bang, 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 bang. And with that, folks, you know how we leave this show the only way that I know how. Elizabeth, come on, we got something going that's oh, really big. Mercy. Look at the school right now and tell him about Macho Madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going. Yeah, we to the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and how cold he's got a chance does anybody have a chance against the Macho Man when he's on? The number of greatest wrestler, past, present, and future that ever lived. Okay, let's say goodbye. Say goodbye. Okay, get out of here. That's a little rough, Randy. Yeah, but it is rough. Yeah, wrestling is a rough sport. And I am the roughest one in the sport. I am the number one wrestler in the world today. Tony Hulk Hogan, that's Tony Hulk Hogan. I will. Thank you, Randy Savage. Bye for now.